it. Welcome to Strata Stories. My name is Thomas Schreiber, and I'm the Director of Marketing here at Strata. Strata is a single EMR platform and revenue cycle management service for physical, occupational, and speech therapy practices that helps you achieve a 99.99% reimbursement rate. On today's episode, Paul Singh, the CEO of Strata, talks with Jamie Schreier, the founder of Practice Freedom U. Jamie helps growth-minded practice owners build a more profitable business while working less hours in the clinic. Paul and Jamie talk through what to look for in a coach slash mentor that can truly help you, why fake work is killing your productivity, and the biggest mistakes mature clinics make. If you'd like to learn more about Strata, head over to stratapt.com or email us at hello at stratapt.com. Now, without further delay, here's today's episode. One of the things you talked about a lot is like the why, like why in the world are we going to do this? You know, like start with that in mind and then build the practice you want around that to drive whatever freedom it is that you want. And one of the poorly articulated questions as a follow-up I wanted to ask you about is like, does that, does your advice to people change based on where they are? So I, I feel like there's the practice owner that is thinking about starting. Then there's the practice owner that has the one location and, and she's thinking about going to two or three. And then there's that sort of more advanced practice owner who's like maybe got multiple locations and starting to think about an exit or succession plans or, you know, whatever. Intentionally a broad question, but I wanted to kind of like get you riffing on this. Like, does your advice to practice owners change based on where they are with their current practice in, in terms of revenue or staff number or whatever the metric is? Yeah, 100%. I look at businesses in a couple different ways. Uh, one of the ways is I look at stages of business. I remember reading a lot around there's different stages of business, especially small business and in our world, you know, service oriented business. Not all businesses are treated the same. So if you if you have a business and you you just started a year ago and you're you're making, you know, $10,000 a month total in revenue, the advice and the focus that you have in your business is going to be different than the person that has a two and a half million dollar business. Now, all of us have the same components of business. Every business in the world has the same components, has the same areas of business. You know, everybody has an audience, right? If you don't have a, a, a target audience, then I'm not sure what you're doing in business, but everybody has an audience that they're trying to help. Everyone has a solution. In this case, your solution is physical therapy. And then, of course, you can have a subcategory of physical therapy. It could be, you know, neuro, it could be uh, orthopedics, it could be, uh, you know, balance and falls or whatever, whatever that solution is specifically to that audience. However, if you're at a smaller uh, part, we, we look at it as stage one, under $400,000, your primary focus has to be generating referrals. It has to be getting people to know that you actually exist. It has to be connecting with people that actually have influence over your audience. A simple example would be if you specialize, let's say, in plantar fasciitis, then connecting with the podiatrist would probably be a smart move right there. Um, but the focus has to be on generating customers. Whereas someone that has, let's say, a $2 million business, I got several clients now that are in that $2 million and their goal is to double. Yes, their focus could be on how do I generate referrals, but it's going to be looked at in a very different way because that business already has people in place. 
That business most likely has management in place. That business has systems in place. The owner of that business isn't doing every little daily administrative task in the world and their time's being sucked up as a small business owner that's under 400,000. Hey, they're doing everything right now. It's just what you have to do. So the answer is yes, the advice will certainly change depending on where you are in your business and the primary problem areas that you have versus, you know, the fact that yes, the components of the business are relatively the same, but it's the nuances of the problems you're focused on, which if you really want to get me going here, what what really kind of pisses me off a little bit is when people are giving advice to other people, but they're giving advice on where they are. You see the difference in, you know, someone that's truly a mentor and truly a high level coach is a coach focuses on what's in your best interest where you are, not where I am. Sometimes you get around these peer-to-peer groups or you get around these other people that are just saying, well, what I did is I do this, this, and this. And it's like, your business is is, is 10 locations and $5 million. This person has a half million dollar business. They can't do what you're talking about. They don't have that ability. Because people told me that all the time when I was in the different stages of my business and I, I do what they say and I'm like, I can't do this. I don't have the same resources. So it's really important to know and to be truly aware of where you are and what the focus you have to do at that moment, because every level, you know, new level, new devil, as the term goes, every level has nuances and new challenges and new problems. And the problem that took you to get to a million dollars the solution that you put in place will not be the solution to get you to 2 million or 4 million or beyond. It changes. Yeah. It's interesting how much that parallels to the tech world that I come from. You know, I I like to tell people that mentors and people that give advice are all probably well-meaning, but 99% of them are almost irrelevant because unless you match the stage with them, to your point, it's like, if somebody's running a $10 million a year business and you're a startup, the advice you're going to get is just not going to be applicable. So it's almost like you want to find somebody that's six months to maybe 12 months ahead of you and maybe really focus there in terms of advice. But anyway, I agree. I totally agree. But, you know, we were talking about events. You know, I think you had mentioned in your own words, like going to events is, it's tough. It's, you know, maybe the ROI is not there. It's also, it's just, a, it's a journey. You got to get on an airplane, deal with all this stuff. And yet, practice owners do it all the time. Like you and I may not do it as much as we used to, but like, I guess where do events fall into this? And where I'm trying to go with this, by the way, Jamie, is because one of the things you just said there, I think is sort of the dirty secret that nobody really addresses head on. And that is, you talked about this concept just a minute ago about marketing. I can't remember if you said like plantar fasciitis or it was some symptom you were like, hey, at some point you've got to focus on growing referrals. Or if you're in a direct access state, consumer marketing around it, but nobody ever does that. In the tech world, we always say companies don't die because they ran out of money. That's the symptom. The upstream problem is they didn't have any customers. And that's kind of what you're talking about here. And so what I see is like a lot of founders, not only in the PT world, but in the tech world as well, that they like spend all their time going to these conferences. They're like, they're basically doing fake work to look busy. And then they end up talking to somebody like you or or just like sitting there on Google one night trying to figure out why they're not growing. And it's like, if you're open to talking about this, like, why do they do that? You think like, why do all these practice owners sort of like, I don't know, it's like the illusion of work. Uh, and again, if we need to like 
cut this out because it's not a good angle. We can totally no, cut this I like, out. I like what you're saying. Oh, no, I love this topic because I, I and I love that term that you said, the illusion of work. Um, there's a great quote that I that I love to use by Henry David Thoreau that says, uh, busy, so too are the ants. The question is, what are you busy about? And I think where I live in that mid-Atlantic Northeast, typically connect Maryland, maybe North Virginia to Northeast, busyness is a badge of honor. When someone comes up to you, they say, hey, Paul, staying busy? And you go, yeah, yeah, really busy. Almost to say that your busyness equals success. Your business equals, look how good I am. And don't even get me started on good and bad because there's another area that I have, a, I have some issues in. But this idea of busy. But the real question is, well, what are you busy doing? What is your busyness? Because the most successful people that I have connected with, and I'm talking extremely successful, not, not necessarily just in the PT business or in the healthcare business, I'm talking about in the world. You see, they don't go around saying how busy they are. See, what they're focusing on is how not to be busy. And how not to be busy is getting away, delegating, removing the task on your plate that's just sucking up your time. They're just time sucks. Or as one mentor of mine called it, time bandits. And too many of us are focusing on tasks that A, we don't like. I mean, we can almost say we hate them. B, we're not good at them. And C, they're not actually in the best interest of our business. So getting back to events. So events is a marketing strategy. It's one of many, many, many marketing strategies. And it's a marketing strategy that's kind of easy because you sign up for the event and you write your check and you show up with your table or your booth. It could be a local event. It could be a big event. I, I do a couple industry events. And then you go do it. You talk to some people, you give away some pens and stuff, and then, you know, hopefully you get some clients. And if you don't get clients, you say, well, that, did, that event didn't work, but you don't know what else to do. So it's occupying your time versus being highly intentional in your marketing strategy to know how to generate. First of all, you should be generating potential customers. If you get a customer, that should be a bonus. But these events should be about getting people interested in what you do and potentially could be a customer either now or in the future. So it's not the event itself that's the problem, is we don't apply any type of thinking to this. We just kind of throw mud against the wall and we see what sticks. And then if it doesn't, we say it doesn't work, but we never look in the mirror and say, what am I trying to accomplish? What am I trying to do? And what advantage do I already have? Do I have tons of money, but no time? Do I have tons of time, but no money, which is what a typical brand new business owner has, which is why I teach them to focus on things that don't cost a lot of money because they don't have any, but they have time to build relationships with people. If you got tons of money, well, hey, if you know how to do it right, uh, pay-per-click, you know, SEO and content marketing strategy, stuff like that, you could own your market, assuming, you know, you can, your leads and your cost per acquisition is less than what it's costing you to deliver the care. So it's really getting clear, which means, Paul, you have to think like that. See, that's business ownership thinking is stepping away from the day to day, stepping away from the minutia and looking at your business like, Hey, we're having problem with referrals. We're having problem with getting potential customers. Let's step back and look at what's worked in the past. Let's say you've been established already. You know, what can we tweak? What can we make a little better? What can we do a little different? What about establishing a new way 
of generating referrals? What are some ideas out there and what could work for us? Then events would make more sense because you go into events with a very clear outcome. Everything I do, I always ask one question. What is the outcome? Mm-hmm. What do I want? Yep. And it's a lot easier to ask the question that is to answer it because most of us don't actually take the time to think about it. We say the outcome is, well, the outcome is I want new patients. And the answer is, well, maybe not. Maybe the outcome is to get some leads and potential patients and then follow up with them to see who's interested now versus later. So it's really getting clear around that. Then you become more intentional. Then your results go up and you actually do better in less time. Yeah. For anybody listening to this, it might not seem like this is intertwined with that previous question, but I think it's 100% intertwined. You know, I think to say what you're talking about in a slightly different way, it's like you have the operator stage, the owner stage, and the investor stage. And you have to, as a practice owner, be an operator to start. You got to get in there. I mean, nobody's going to do the work but you. And then where a lot of folks seem to stop, at least from where I sit, is they have that hard, it's a hard transition to put on your owner hat, truly put on your owner hat. And then very, very few of the people that even make it to that level can then eventually transition to the investor hat. And in that vein, what I would say, like one of the uncomfortable truths that I believe, and you can totally disagree with me on this, is that you cannot outsource your core function. Meaning, as an example, marketing is a core function. Whether or not practice owners agree with me or not is irrelevant. It is a core function. If you outsource that, then you can't like blame your vendor for not getting you enough patients or not getting you in front of that podiatrist or or whatever. Like it's it's sort of the uncomfortable reality of running a practice in 2023 and beyond is that you have to see yourself as a marketing company now. You have to see yourself as a consumer company. And I feel like I'm going to lose some friends on this, but medicine is sort of a commodity now. Again, I'm going to lose some friends on this, but as a patient for me, if my shoulder hurts, at the end of the day, I don't really care whether I see Jimmy or Sally or Barry. I just want my shoulder to feel better. (laughs) And the question really is, is which one of those practice owners has actually like kept me top of mind or or made themselves or their practice top of mind when that injury sort of happens. So anyway, that was a poorly articulated way of saying I totally agree. While you're on this topic though, just point blank then. So let's say you're a practice owner at 2 million. They call you for help. Let's just say they're doing 2 million in annual revenue. Pick some big number, right? They're, They're bigger than a startup. They're just a large established practice. In your experience, what's the number one mistake they're making? I mean, I definitely have some opinions on this, but from when they call you, they've got a $2 million a year practice or some big number. What's the number one mistake? You hear them and 30 minutes into it, you're like, ah, this is what you're doing wrong. What, what is that most common thing they're doing wrong? Yeah. Well, first of all, it's not usually 30 minutes. It's less than five minutes Yeah. because you can look at a business just in their revenue and you can get a pretty good idea of what are the most common problems based on revenue that they have. Actually, I have a few clients right now that are in that exact mode. And the area that we're doing for both is really, it's always about time. You see, one of the things that I do as a coach that I learned just from doing it myself, because you can go for time, you can go for money, you can go for something else. I go for time because the time is the only finite resource that you have. Money, you can make money and lose money, but time, there's only so much about it. And where you focus your time determines the results you get. So if you focus in your time on poor activities that don't do much for you, you'll do really well at poor activities that don't do well for you. So when you're looking at a $2 million business, I look at saying, where is the friction happening 
in your life? Where is the friction happening in your business? And I'm thinking of two particular people that I'm working with, and both of them were still in some of the day-to-day stuff. They were still doing things they didn't particularly like. Now, did they have a team in place? They all had a team. They didn't have solid management. They had pseudo-management. It's, well, they're kind of sort of management. I go, well, do they have a job description? Do they have an agreement? Well, kind of. We talked about it. I said, let's get clear on that. Because when they're clear on the expectations, when they're clear on what they are stepping up to do, then they can actually take some of this stuff off your plate. Because selfishly, every hire you make, every system you purchase, every every program, every EMR, anything you purchase from technology to human capital has to do one thing, especially in the initial stages. That is, it has to buy back your time. As my mentor, Dan Martell said, it's all about how to buy back your time. Yep. So $2 million businesses, typically they don't have a really solid management slash leadership team. They're not crystal clear on expectations. There's not solid systems in place. There's not training in place. The owner isn't communicating and articulating really well with them. I did that with both of these people's business and inside of six months, one is now at 2.5 million, one's at 2.4 million. We didn't focus on marketing. We didn't really focus on, you know, all those other problems. We did talk about hiring, but we talked about hiring from a system standpoint. What we talked about is how to remove the angst and the disruption in their life and their thinking. Once they started delegating this, what happened? The results came from leveraging the people that they already had in their business. And of course, a couple of people they needed to hire. That's where the results came from. But what happened is their energy started to go up. So they got back time, they got back energy, and they got back their creativity. And that creativity then innovated even more ideas. And all of a sudden, uh, and I just talked to them a, a few weeks ago, and I said, hey, we haven't talked about revenue in a little bit. Hey, where are you guys right now? I'm uh, averaging about 2.5. We should do 3 million this year. Yeah. And I went, not bad. Yeah. I go, isn't that fun? And they were both blown away. They're like, it's unbelievable because we really didn't focus on money. I go, no, we focused on who produces the revenue, which is your team. And why your team can't do what they're doing is because you are keeping some of this and you're not being clear. So I always focus regardless of the stage. I focus on how they're utilizing their time. Well, I'm glad you mentioned Dan. I was an investor in both of his previous companies, so I'm fairly... Of course you know Dan. Good dude. You know, uh, I think as of right now, he's fighting some... There's forest fires up in Kelowna, British Columbia, where he's at. But anyway, his book is really good, Buy Back Your Time. I'm glad you brought it up. So let's talk about that for a minute. Are there other resources that you recommend people read? So obviously, other than your podcast, my podcast, or whatever, what else should people be reading? I mean, Dan's book, Buy Back Your Time, is a good one. Are there anything else where you're like, hey, you got to read this uh, or watch that? The one thing I don't do is I don't get into the old book conversation, right? And the book conversation is sometimes when you talk about people wasting time, sometimes people like to tell you how many books they read, right? It's a contest. It's a pissing contest. Like, I've read seven books. I did this. Well, the problem with me is when I read a book, like when I look at how to buy back time, I'm devouring his book. 
Like I'm looking at it from so many perspectives. I'm trying to connect the dots of other things I've learned because there's nothing new. I mean, you have to look at all of this as there's nothing new. Dan just created what he looked at it in as far as time and time management. So, you know, last year, interesting story, last year, 2022, I uh, stopped reading books, right? Leaders are readers. You know what? Books stress me out because when I read them, I devour them. And when I devour them, I implement them. And I was reading two, three books at a time, and I was getting so many freaking ideas, I couldn't implement any of them. But if you put me on Facebook, Paul, I'd be like, hey, I read this book and this book and this book. And I realized my bank account didn't really give a crap if I was reading those books. And I was stressed out. So I took six months and I said, I'm not reading a book. And what happened? My business shot up. My income shot up. My angst went down. My energy shot up. So... There's so many great books out there. I mean, just the fact that just engage and get a habit of just reading, get one nugget or two nuggets from a book. Don't do what I do with books. I mean, that's, I don't recommend that, but somebody right here, I got, this is marketing, uh, um, uh, the Icarus deception, uh, self-deception, uh, never split the difference, how to bow back your time. I got my buddy, uh, Hormozy's book right here, hundred, hundred million dollar offers and his new book coming out, hundred million dollar leads. Reboot is a great one. Um, the big leap by Gay Hendricks is a phenomenal book. That'll, that'll hit you right between the eyes. Um, I mean, there's so many, anything by Dan Sullivan will get you thinking who, not how. There's just so many out there. What you don't do is don't get in a pissing contest to try to compare yourself to others. That's how you take something great, like reading a book, and it becomes some comparison keeping you busy. I read three books today. I go, but you don't have any referrals. Why don't you just focus on getting referrals instead of reading books so you can tell, show off to someone else how great you think you are, and they don't even give a shit. Yeah. I mean, to your point, the thing that I totally agree with is that people will read all these books, but they do nothing with it. Therein is the problem, right? You could read Dan's book all day, but if you don't actually go use one of the ideas, it's not any good. Hormozy's book, I don't know him that, I don't know him personally, but for example, just timestamp on this, we're recording, you know, mid-August of 2023 right now. You know, he wrote that book, I forget the title of it now, but just a couple days ago, the book launch itself, I think off the top of my head, what I saw him announce was that he had 500,000 people join the live cast to announce the book and he sold $4.4 million of the book within the first couple hours or whatever. So, you can read his books all day, but if you don't actually go implement the strategies, it's not worth anything at all. So I'm with you 100%, by the way. I think way too many people just kind of use a badge of honor. They're like, oh, I read all these books. And then they're like, I guess here's the controversial thing I would say. I would argue that most people that come to you and probably to us as well, actually in their heart of hearts know what they have to do next. They just don't do it because they're busy. I think everybody knows oh, yeah. what they need to be doing. Look, we have the internet, we have YouTube, we have endless podcasts, we have blowhards like me and you. There are endless, endless people, endless books, endless videos to watch and podcasts to listen to that literally tell you what to do. I give away 95% of the stuff that I teach. I give it away. Like I'm telling you what to do. You pay me $50,000 a year, I'm going to tell you the same thing. But here's the difference. And here's what I learned when I wrote my first check for a business coach, 
my first check I ever wrote for a real business coach, not a program, not some group call. I'm talking one-on-one business coach. I wrote a check for $33,500 for six months. I was one desperate cat, but I wrote it to Jesse because I said, Jesse, tell me what to do Mm -hmm. and I'll do it. I don't care what it is. Tell me what to do. And my goal in the one year, my goal was just to make the money back. That's it. In one year, make 33,500 back. I made 35,000 because I knew once I learned it, I can then apply it. Yeah. Two years later, I made 450,000. Yeah. Was 33,000 a good investment? I think so. So what the, what the real problem is, which is why I started Practice Freedom You and why I do coaching and have other coaches that are helping because knowing is dangerous because some of us, not all of us, think knowing is enough because we're smart. We like to know. We like to tell people all the ideas. We're like professors. Mm-hmm. Yep. The ones that, you know, get made fun of that, you know, those who don't know teach or whatever. But the reality is we all need someone that is unbiased in the emotional day-to-day to help guide us through, well, out of the 45 things you could do, what is the one thing you should do mm-hmm. that's going to help you get what you want? Yeah. On this note, by the way, it's like, um, and somebody smarter than me is going to point out all the flaws in what I'm about to say, but basically what people don't understand is there's this paradox of choice. And as you become more successful, you're actually more likely to fail, not less likely, but more likely because that you get more choices available to you. And you, you know, all of a sudden this is where you start to get super busy because you say yes to a million things, these opportunities that you didn't have when you were just starting your business or whatever. So the point is, is like, you almost have to be able to accept this idea that you have to say no to 10 times more things every month you're in business. Because anyway, let me, let me pause on that. You mentioned this story. You talked about that story of like 30, you spent 33,000 on that coach. What's interesting about that to me is like, um, I want to ask about the mindset. What I hear when I hear you tell that story is, is that you had gotten to a point probably, if I had to guess, reading between the lines of that story, up until you wrote that check, you probably were like a lot of these other practice owners. You're like, I'll just figure it out. I'll do it myself. Uh, I don't need to pay this, whatever. But then something clicked and you were like, this mindset shift happened and you're like, I may not know everything. I'm going to invest in myself and it paid off for you. And in a similar vein, what I do like in my angel investing world where I invest in you know startups and things like that, I like to put little roadblocks up because I want to see if somebody's in the right mindset. So here's like my really basic example and people are going to laugh at me for this. I don't carry business cards. I don't have a business card for Strata. I have no business card for my angel investing or anything like that. So when people say, hey, can I get in touch or whatever? I'll simply say, sure, email me at this. Uh, here's my email. Just email me. It's public. You can, you know, my, if you Google me, you'll see my email. Just email me and uh, pick one topic and I'll respond with a uh, uh, scheduling link. 99% of people never get past that step because it's almost as if it was more fun to just ask if they could chat and then they never get over that little mental hurdle. And in, obviously it's not like they're writing me a check for 33,000, right? But it's like, my point is, it helps me see whether or not they're really in the mindset of moving to the next level. So when you think about your business now, and you know, you're seeing these startup practices, these established practices, all these, you know, these this range of people that come to you, are there little tests that you put in place to see, you know, not only how serious, I mean, obviously them writing a check to you is the ultimate test. Are they willing to invest in their growth? But before you even get there, you know, you mentioned earlier within the first five minutes, you know, 
that's pattern matching, heuristics, whatever. Are there other little tells that you look for where you're like, oh, this person's just not in the right mindset. We're just not going to work together right now. Yeah, I mean, similar to you. Uh, so we have a quiz called a PT practice quiz. And it's not just for PTs, but that's just what it's called. Uh, the quiz is very short. There's like 30 something questions. And I take uh, a handful of questions from each of like the areas of business from leadership to marketing, time management, et cetera. So I'll say, you know what? Love to talk to you. If it's a practice owner, you know, have you taken the quiz yet? Because I want to work with people that are action takers. I want to work with people that actually do what they say they're going to do. You see, these traits, whether they're working for me or they're a client of mine, these traits have a much higher determination of success than how smart you are. Frankly, how smart you are really has zero. I mean, from what I do, zero. The smarter you are, like intelligent-wise, the more you're going to question, the more you're going to mentally masturbate, thinking, 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 thinking and never actually doing, um, the more you're going to do pros and cons lists and this and that, and then you're going to get ready to get ready. So what I'm looking at when someone comes to me is, hey, you know what? Love to talk to you. Why don't you take the quiz? And then we can schedule a time to review your quiz, basically where your business at, what you're looking for. And then I can you know, share what we're doing and go from there. Yeah. You see, everyone thinks, maybe because a lot of these aggressive marketing and salespeople are, everyone thinks not everyone, but when they get on a call with like me or, or when they get, they think I'm trying to sell them. And I'd like, I'm not trying to sell you. I'm trying to figure out every reason why not to take you on as a client because I don't want you to fail. I don't want any of my clients to fail. And I know the number one determining factor is, are you going to do what you say you're going to do even when it gets tough? Mm -hmm. There's another good book, by the way, Grit. Do you have the grit? You can read about grit. But when things are difficult, what do you do? Do you go run and hide? Do you sabotage your own business by making terrible decisions that put you back into that comfort zone? Or do you walk through that fire? Do you have that courage? So I do the quiz. I might say, hey, you know what? Like if I'm at a conference, I'm with you. I have very nice, thick business cards. I can't tell you how often I forget. I forget them. So I said, you know what? Here's my whatever, or just why don't you shoot me an email? See what we can do together. Some do, some don't. Yeah. I bet it's like a 99% drop-off right there. Yeah. I don't care. Yeah. But what I'm not going to do is go chase anybody. Right. I'm not going to hunt you down. You see, you need what I have. I, I don't want to be, you know, come off whatever. But anyways, they already hate you anyways for what you said. So they can, they can line <laughs> up and do what they want. Get in line, man. <laughs> I don't need what you have. I don't care. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got, yeah. I've got plenty of clients. I'd love a lot more people, but I want them on my terms because we're going to change your life, but you absolutely need what I have. Right. So the question is, is are you coachable? Do you have, yes, you need to have a certain type of business model and all that and have profit margin and have an audience, which everyone has an audience and all that. But most important, do you, are you willing, is your vision bigger than your fear? Mm-hmm. Is what you want greater? So when I paid Jesse 33500 he asked me these questions. And I said, I've done the programs. I've hired this. I've hired that. I go, Jesse, I look in the mirror. I don't know what the hell I'm doing. I have an ego that says I do, but I don't. My bank account does not agree. And so does my wife. I don't know what I'm doing. Can you help me? He said, possibly. 
And then he started asking me questions about me. Mm -hmm. And I said, I will do whatever you tell me, as long as it's legal, moral, and ethical. I actually, morality is another issue. But <laughs> hey, as long as it's, he, he goes, I'll never ask you to do anything like that. He goes, but if you don't do it, if you don't overcome you and your own fear and your own bullshit, then you're not going to be able to get through. Because if you if you already knew how to do it, you would have done it. So there's fear that's blocking you from doing it. I will help you with that. Yep, yep, yep. And it wasn't easy. I just hear so many parallels with, so as much as people may not agree with me on this, you know, I don't come from healthcare, right? So even if people won't agree with me on this, the fact is the more and more we talk, the more and more I meet our clients at Strata, stuff like that, there are so many parallels between practice owners and let's call them tech founders or tech company owners. And one of the like sort of simplistic things that I think about when my wife, so I've been investing in these startups for 20 years now, 3,200 companies into it now. And I always tell people like the anecdotal thing that we're looking for, like the most successful people across the tech sector, and I think by extension, the PT sector as well, is that these founders and these owners tend to be relentlessly resourceful and incredibly self-aware. So relentlessly resourceful in the sense that they're not usually scared of saying, I don't know. You know, and whether they Google it or they come to you or they, you know, have a friend, either way, they'll, they're resourceful. They will figure out how to get the answer they need and then implement it. But then they're also incredibly self-aware and they are self-aware enough to your point, you use the word coachable. I would say it's very similar. It's like they're self-aware enough to say this is or isn't my core business or I'm not good at that. I'm going to double down on my strengths, not try to fix my weaknesses, whatever it might be. The point is those two traits, though, relentless resourcefulness and, um, incredible self-awareness, I think are sort of the cornerstones of, it's like, to your point, I can tell within the first five minutes of meeting a founder or an owner, whether or not it, the business is investable, because it's like, you just kind of know, you talk to thousands of people, you figure it out real fast. You're like, oh, this isn't going to work. So this is interesting. I did not expect you to say Dan Martell, by the way. So Dan mentioned something, like I said, I don't have any business relationship with him. I was an investor in his previous companies, but he posted something related to this topic just a couple of days ago, I don't know if you noticed this on Instagram or wherever it was, he said something, and I'm not doing any, any justice, but for the interest of time, he said something along the lines of, there are people dumber than you building the business you want to build somewhere else. So you've got no excuse. <laughs> and that's kind of what we're talking about here, I think, in a way, is that like these people already know what they need to do. And some of them just may need a push from you. Some of them may need- Look at the oxymoron here. You've already been told your whole life that Doctors make the worst business owners, right? Mm -hmm. We've heard that saying, right? Maybe lawyers the same way or whatever. What I discovered is what they're really saying is the reason they make bad business owners because they're very intelligent people in their craft. And what happens is because we think intelligence is amongst everything, we just assume that the doctor knows everything about everything. And the reality is they know what they've been taught. So if they've been taught business, I'm sure a doctor would be a fine business owner or they experience business enough to learn. But if they haven't, just because they know about how to do this surgery or how to diagnose this problem doesn't magically know about spreadsheets and marketing and operations and systems and, and team building, right? So this ego gets in our way. And of course, when you get lots of good grades and told how smart you are your whole life, you start to buy into it and believe it. And whether it's physical therapy, chiropractic, you know, doctors, podiatrists, dentists, we're all in the smart profession. And we all have the same syndrome. 
smart people syndrome. And that is our biggest problem. It's not tactics. It's not strategy. It's not any of those other things. It's us getting out of our own way. And when we are coachable, what we're saying is, I'm willing to learn. I'm willing to hold up the mirror to myself. I'm willing to learn about this idea of emotional intelligence, not just IQ, but EQ. And of course, the first component of emotional intelligence is Mm self-awareness. And if we're not aware of who we are, what triggers us, what habits we have, then every time we see the outside world, we're going to see with that skewed lens. And then we make really bad decisions, especially around who we surround ourselves with. Yep. So when you and I are talking to somebody, potentially to have a client or you to have an investor, what we're really looking at is them. We know if they have the it factor. Now, do they have to have a, a solid service or in your case, a solid product? Yeah, but you also know with money, you can develop even a better product. But if without the right person, it doesn't matter how good their product is. It doesn't matter how much money or what impact we can make in the world. If they don't have what it takes, it's going to be a nightmare. Yep. So it doesn't matter what business we're in. We're in the business of humans. I agree totally, by the way. I have a hypothesis that is not backed in any data, but you know, I'm going to throw it out there too. I think to become a doctor, you have to look smart and be smart. And hear me out on this for a second. It's like to get to the next level, you have to be smart. You got to get A's or whatever you got to get, but then you got to look smart. You got to say all the right things. You can kill your entire career from what I've learned by just doing the wrong thing one time or saying the wrong thing one time. So in other words, to become a doctor and to remain a doctor, you can't mess up. You have to look smart, be smart, and you know you play to not lose all the time. And counterintuitively, so first of all, that's what it takes to be a successful doctor. You just can't mess up. You're messing with people's lives, their bodies, that sort of thing. You just can't mess it up. I get it. But the paradox is to be successful in business, you have to embrace looking stupid. You know, you have to be willing to say, I don't know, or look dumb or, or whatever. And that's the paradox between running a business and being a, a medical practitioner, I think. And it's just, I don't have a solution on it other than to just start with, let's just identify the problem, which is you have to be smart and look smart and not screw it up to be a doctor. But to run and grow a successful practice, you got to kind of embrace the opposite. Like, I don't know, we're going to try this, we're going to try that. And then just go do something about it. Now, back to what you just said there, which I thought was really interesting. You're starting to allude towards, God, I forget how you just said it a minute ago, but you're sort of alluding to the questions or the things that these people have to do to, if they're ready to shift their mindset. So I guess, I guess the question I would say is like, let's say there's a clinic owner or a, you know whatever out there right now, and they're starting to connect the dots here. And they're like, well, maybe I do have to shift their mindset. Before they pick up the phone and talk to you or to anybody else, what are the questions they should ask themselves? I think you sort of alluded to changing the social circle or even earlier you were like, make sure you're getting advice from people that have been there recently, effectively, not 10 years ahead of you. But for somebody that's like in that middle ground, like if you had to like time travel back to when you were, were ready to finally write that first check to Jesse, what questions should they be asking themselves to decide if they're really ready? Well, I think there's ultimately two questions you need to ask, maybe, maybe three. You know, the first question, which I think is the harder question, what do you want? What do you want? See, most of us are so busy just being busy in the moment. We're just trying to solve fires right now. We're just trying to get a little breathing room, trying to, to get on top of the water with a, with a little breath in there. 
we're not really moving towards something that we want, something that's meaningful. You see, when I went to, went to Jesse, I became clear on what I wanted. I was able to describe very quickly what I wanted. And I said, I said, Jesse, I don't want to be in the clinic day to day anymore. I don't want to treat patients unless I choose to. Mm-hmm. I want to make this amount of money and I want to have the life that I deserve to have that I've always dreamt of having. Yep. And I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to do this. And I just started laying all the specific problems I have. I'm not sure how to market, right? Once people are in front of me, I can genuinely sell them on services ethically and all that. But, you know, I don't know how to get them in the door. I, I don't understand like organization systems. I'm not really good at that kind of stuff. You know, hiring, I, you know, I'm so overwhelmed. So I was clear on the problems I had. And when your future is big enough, it's a great saying here, when your future is big enough, the facts don't matter. Talk about that for a minute. When your future is big enough, the facts don't matter. So this came, that that saying came from a, a mentor of mine. And what he was saying as I learned it years ago, I think what he was saying is when you have that vision of what you want, nothing's going to get in your way from achieving it. It may not go the way you think it's going to go, but the facts of why you can't have it aren't going to matter. Like I was told, Jamie, you're a PT. You have your own practice. Doctors are not going to refer to you if you're not there. I went, so they won't refer to me, but I'm going to find out myself. That's the truth. Mm -hmm. Guess what? It was not the truth. Your staff needs you there. Your staff, you're going to have to be there day in and day out. You can't just be not at the office. I went, I'm going to find out myself. And what happened was it's the opposite. The staff didn't mind me there, but they loved it when I wasn't there and they were empowered to do their job. Yeah. So That's the real kind of picture is what the hell do you want and what are you willing to do to get it? Yeah. So I ask people, Paul, take me, and some people can't think five years or 10 years. I said, take me a couple of years out. Take me two, three years out. What does it look like for you if anything was possible? You know, the magic wand, if anything was possible. So I I help them kind of develop their vision. I don't give them the vision, but I help them have permission to speak like they did when they were five and they didn't have any problem saying what they've dreamed of. But when you get older, you limit that creativity, that dreaming. We need to dream more. And then they want to try to solve it. So they tell me every reason why they can't do it. I said, well, let's just don't worry about that. And then I just asked them, so what's stopping you? What's truly stopping you? Mm Mm-hmm. And ultimately, every single person, especially when they become a client, ultimately they come to the same answer and they go, well, nothing is really stopping me except me. Yeah. And I went, thank you. I think you'd be a great client because when you realize you're the damn solution, we can make things happen. When they say, well, Jamie, what's really stopping me is damn insurance companies don't pay enough. I go, that's stopping you from achieving your dream. So you're just a victim? Well, no. I go, you just said you're a victim. Well, there's not enough therapists out there to hire. So that's stopping you from achieving this dream? I get to that stage because that's what it's going to take 
for you to just own up or not. Because if you keep holding on to those excuses, that victim, per- that I'm certainly not the right person. Maybe someone else is, and I'm certainly not the right person. Our company is not the right person for that. But when you own up to it, man, teaching you how to do stuff, that's the easy part. You already went through seven, eight years of school. You're certainly smart enough. Mm-hmm. But what school never really did is tap into the thing deep inside you that you're most afraid of. And when business, business will. Thanks for listening to another episode of Strata Stories. Strata is a single EMR platform and a revenue cycle management service for physical, occupational, and speech therapy practices that helps you achieve a 99.99% reimbursement rate. If you'd like to learn more about Strata, head over to stratapt.com or email us at hello at stratapt.com.